The dates are different, but the amount the same. There are two on every one. The dash between the dates it stands for time. How important is that line? The dates placed there belong to God, but that line is yours and mine. But that line between he gives to us. What are you going to do with that line? Superlative. Of the highest kind, quality, or order, surpassing all else or others, supreme. What would it take for the word superlative to be etched into your tombstone. Here lies, he lived a superlative life. Here lies, she lived a superlative life. See, I, I love walking around cemeteries. Uh, well, I love it and I hate it. I hate, I hate it because I hate death. I hate that our bodies end up uh, in the ground. I feel like there's something wrong about it, and there is something wrong about it. Um, we weren't created to die. Death is unnatural. If anybody ever tells you that death is just a natural part of life, they're, they're completely wrong. Uh, death is uh, only a part of our existence because the curse that sin brought into this world. So, by the way, if you're not a Christian, I just want to like, lay that before you. If you've ever had the thought, man, death just feels wrong. It feels wrong that I could live my whole life loving somebody and them being right there, and then one day they just are gone. That feels wrong. It feels like a curse. And uh, if you're not a Christian, Christianity would say that the reason it feels wrong is because it is wrong and that we were never supposed to experience that. But it is a reality for us now. Every one of us is going to die. And that's part of why I enjoy walking around cemeteries because there's something sobering about it. it puts my life in context. You know what I mean? Those stones tell stories. Moms, dads, sons, daughters, old, young, what century they lived in, what decade they maybe thrived in. It's all fascinating to me. And yet, those stories, they are so incomplete, right? All they tell is a name and a year they were born and a year they died. A few other minor details, maybe if the family sprung for a slightly more expensive headstone, but those, those stones just say that they lived, not how they lived, right? Yes, a mom, but what kind of mom? Yes, a husband, what kind of husband? What was uh, his purpose? What was her personality? What mark did they leave on the people that they interacted with in this world? The stones don't tell those details, and those are the details that give life meaning, right? The only thing on, on the stone that represents life is that little line. That short, sharp dash between the dates. 
A really small but highly significant line, right? Represents all the years, all the months, all the days that they lived. Their whole life reduced to a punctuation mark. (laughs) Something cold about that, isn't there? Always confuses me that the dates are so prominent and that the line is so small. Who cares about the dates? The line's the thing that matters. And I can't help as I walk around cemeteries like that, reading the names and the dates, to think that those people were at one point exactly like I am now. They were living and working and loving, not thinking about death at all. And then, I can't help but walk around also thinking that a hundred years from now, some 30-ish year old preacher is going to be walking around a cemetery and he's going to see my name on a stone and he's going to see my dash and he's going to wonder, what did he do with that? sobering. All you get is that dash. That's all you get. So there's this Latin phrase. I want to show it to you. It's a memento mori. You ever heard of it? This is not working, gentlemen. Memento mori. It means, literally translated, remember your death. Remember your death. It's a cool little story behind this thing. So uh, in Roman times, when Roman generals would uh, come home from winning great victories, Rome would throw them like crazy parties, like parades, like festivals that would last for days. And these guys would just get showered and showered and showered with all this uh, praise and and, uh, acknowledgement for what they did. But Rome uh, was pretty wise in that they would uh, assign a younger man to follow the general around as they're doing all this celebrating for his great victory. And just every once in a while, he was assigned to walk up to the general and say, memento mori, and then just walk away. Memento mori. Remember your death. And it was designed to do kind of two things, right? To, to humble the guy. Hey, by the way, you're not immortal. You know, you did a good thing, but you're not immortal. And then secondly, it was designed to... Uh, help him savor the moment even more because it's not going to last forever. So, uh, memento mori. Remember your death. So my premise this morning is that you'll live better if you memento mori. That remembering your death actually improves your life because your death gives your life context, right? You ever been taken out of context, have something you say taken out of context? It's frustrating, right? And it usually messes everything up. Well, the same thing's true in your life. If you take your life out of context, if you forget that it has a beginning and it has an ending, you'll mess everything up inside of it. You need context. I'm not saying that, life, that death gives your life purpose. I'm saying that death gives your life context. When you remember your death, it helps you focus on what's important. Because you remember that the time you have left is limited, not unlimited, so you're going to be smart about how you spend it. When you remember your death, you gain perspective, right? Having an end date changes how you see the little things. And I think remembering your death helps you be present in the here and now. Anybody in here ever feel like you spend your whole life waiting for the next thing? That you're always kind of wishing your life away? If you, memento mori, You'll be less likely to do that. Remember your death. It will improve your life. Psalm 144.4 says, A man is like a mere breath. His days are like a passing shadow. So the, the, the Bible says that your life is it's gone. Like a passing shadow. It's here and then it's gone. Like a mist in the morning that is there until the sun comes up and then it's gone. That's how brief of a time 
we have. Now, just so you know, uh, I'm not trying to depress you this morning. I know uh, if, you've, <laughs> if you've been here before, you know that this is not normally the way I start sermons. Usually I start, hey, good morning, my name's Adam, da, 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 and I try to make a funny joke, make you all laugh, make you all kind of like me, so then I can tell you something hard. And I didn't do that this morning. Um, but my intention was not to depress you, even though maybe I did, but because it's just true, you're going to die someday. It's an inconvenient truth, right? And it's also true that at some point, your body is going to get put in the ground and your whole life is going to get reduced down to a punctuation mark. Both those things are true. But that's not really the message. The message today is that your punctuation mark isn't done yet. Like, your dash mark isn't completely finished yet. You know what I'm saying? So the question I want to ask is, what are you going to do with what you have left? What are you going to do with that, the piece of the dash mark that hasn't been etched yet? What are you going to do with that? How much do you think you got left? I don't know. You're a little younger. Maybe you're like only 25% of the way through your dash. You got a whole big, long life ahead of you. Maybe you think 30%. Maybe you're heading towards that, that thing in the middle, that midlife crisis thing, you know? When you start to realize that what you've done already is equal to what you're going to experience and freak out a little bit. Or maybe you're way past that. Maybe you've only got a few millimeters left on that dash mark. What are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with the time that you have left? Whatever amount you have. So I want to give you a word to describe what you have left. It's one word to describe the rest of your life. And you're like, gosh, Adam, you've already reduced my entire existence down to a punctuation mark, and now you're going to reduce whatever I have left down to one word? Yep, but it's a good word. It's a good word. And this goes for anybody. I don't care where you come, come from. I don't care uh, how old you are. I don't care what you've done. Uh, I don't care if you came in here hungover. I don't care um, if you screwed your life up massively recently and you're just now kind of feeling the, um, the dust start to settle. I don't care um, if you're nine, 90 or 19. This word describes what you have left. You ready? One word. Potential. Potential. If I were the kind of preacher who would say, turn to your neighbor and say, I would say, turn to your neighbor and say, you have potential, but I don't do that because that's weird. (laughs) But you should say it to yourself. Whatever decades you think you have left, the word that you should write over those decades is potential. Whatever years you might have left, you should write the word potential over them. Whatever months, weeks, or if God willing days you have left, you should write the word potential over them. You have potential. No matter how much time you have left, there is potential. Potential for you to make an impact in this world. Potential to love. Potential to win spiritual victories. Potential to fulfill your purpose. Potential potential to play an integral role in what God is doing on this earth. Potential to live in such a way that the demons know your name. You know what I'm saying? Potential to live in such a way that that dash that's going to leave a physical mark on a stone that represents your life will pale in comparison to the, the mark that you leave on this earth in the spiritual sense. Potential. So what I want to do is I want to give you uh, five ways to live to your potential with what you have left. Five. Um, and I'm, I'm, ass- I'm assuming something here, that you're not sitting here with whatever uh, 
point you are at your life with whatever you have left, that you're not sitting here looking at that going, I'm good not knowing what God could do with that. Like I'm good leaving a lot of stuff on the table when it comes to that. I don't really want to find out my potential. I'm assuming nobody's sitting here thinking that, that every single one of you wants to find out what the ceiling is. What did, why did God really put me here? What, what am I really supposed to experience with this time that I have left? I'm assuming that everybody wants to experience that. So you should pay attention to these five things. Let's pray and then jump into those. Lord Jesus, I thank you for what you've already done today. Uh, I feel like you are present in a special way. And I pray for our hearts this morning as we talk, we talk about something that we really don't like to talk about. The fact that we're going to die someday. I pray that um, while it is uncomfortable, that it would be healthy for us and helpful for us to have perspective and context for our life. So Lord, I pray for every single person in here right now, Lord, that our hearts would be open to what you want to do uh, and that your word would go out and do what it does. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so five things. Um, that if you want to live up to your potential with the time that you have left, you should uh, choose these things. First thing is to choose what is right over what is easy. To choose what is right over what is easy. And by the way, isn't that the way life is? That they're rarely on the same side, those two things, easy and right. Isn't it always that one is over here and the other is over here and you have to choose between what is right and what is easy? Joshua 24, 15, uh, the, Joshua is the leader of Israel. He's talking to all of Israel. He says this, um, but if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you serve. Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors serve uh, beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. So Joshua here is the people of Israel. He's talking to all of Israel. He's, saying, he's giving them here a choice. Hey, what do you guys want to do? Do you want to go backwards and serve the gods of your past? Do you want to to serve the gods of the people that are around you? Or do you want to serve the one true God? It would be easier to go backwards, right? To what you know, rather than to go into what you don't know. It'd be easier to just do what everybody else is doing. But Joshua is saying as a leader, I'm going to choose to do the hard thing. I'm going to follow God. Even when I don't, I'm not as familiar with it as I could be as some of the stuff in the past, even though everybody else around me is, is staying in this life, I'm going to choose this one. If you want to live to your potential, you're going to have to choose what is right over what is easy. You're going to have to be principled rather than pragmatic. And, and what I want you to see, like the visual in your head that I want you to have is like, Every time you choose what is easy, you're taking a path that leads you away from your potential. It's, it's the, you're going the wrong way. When you choose the easy thing over the right thing, your potential's over here and you're going this way. It's not where you want to go. Matter of fact, for me, that's like one of my uh, compasses in life. If I don't know what to do and the Bible doesn't clearly say what should I do, I almost always choose the hard thing because I assume that the hard thing is the right thing. And I want to go towards my potential, not away from it. So what decisions are you faced with right now where you could choose what is right or what is easy? What thing in your life is getting in the way of your purpose that you need to remove it, even if it's hard? That's the first thing. So you want to pursue your potential. If you want to see your potential fulfilled with the time you have left, choose what is right over what is easy. Second thing, choose to forgive early and often. Choose to forgive early and often. If you want to live to your potential, you need to forgive... (laughs) a lot, and you need to do it quickly. 
quickly. Ephesians 4.32 says, instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. So one of the things we talk about here all the time is that forgiveness for the Christian is not optional. It's not, well, I could or I couldn't. No, no, no. It's, it's not optional for the Christian to forgive. Jesus died on the cross and forgave us of everything that we've ever done. We can't not forgive. It is inconsistent. We are, that is a mark of a Christian. By the way, if you don't know what a Christian is, it's not like somebody who's a good person. A Christian actually is not a good person. You might know that. Um, and they are a forgiven person. That's what a Christian is. They're forgiven. And guess what? Forgiven people forgive people. Forgiven people forgive people. It's just a natural part. Forgiveness flows to you and it throws, flows out from you to others. It's who you are now. You're a forgiver. But it's not just that we're commanded to forgive, and it's not just that that's who you are now. Uh, it's actually that forgiveness is better than bitterness, isn't it? Forgiveness is better than bitterness. You might not feel that in the moment if you're struggling to forgive somebody, but it is by far better to live a life of consistent forgiveness than to live a life full of bitterness. Far better. You'll never reach your potential. If you have bitterness stuck, lodged in your heart, if you hold on to something and won't let go of it, you will never reach your potential. Bitter people don't reach their potential. They don't. Matter of fact, bitter people spend most of their time trying to prevent everybody else from reaching their potential, if we're honest, right? What a, what a dumb way to spend that dash. Here lies, he was bitter. What a dumb way to spend your life. So who do you need to forgive? Or maybe I should ask it this way. Who do you need to forgive again? <laughs> Is that better? So if you want to reach your potential, you need to forgive early and often. Don't spend your life bitter. Bitter people don't reach their potential. That's the second thing. Third thing, if you want to reach your potential, choose grit over quit. This is one of our values here at Mosaic. We want to be a church full of gritty people. This is uh, a piece of like our, we want it to be our culture. Um, we don't want to quit easily. We want to continue to go even when things get hard. So is this verse, uh, Luke 21, 19, Jesus was speaking and he said, by your endurance, you will gain your lives by your endurance. And endurance is this Greek word, uh, hypomone. I'm not even going to show it to you. Um, and the, the, lexicon definition of this word right here in the Greek is this. Check this out. The characteristic of a man who is not swerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to faith and piety, even by the greatest trials and sufferings. Isn't that good? You could, you could translate the word grit. By your grit, you will gain your lives. A bullheaded determination to not give up even when things get hard. Some of you are really stubborn. But you aim your stubbornness at your spouse. And you should instead aim your stubbornness at your sin. Boom. Roasted. <laughs> I'm sorry, we need to release the tension there. It was too hard. But you are, I, I think stubbornness is a God-given gift. You're just aiming at the wrong thing. I really do think that. I really do think that. And you know why grit is important? It's not just the just don't give up thing. That's true. You guys, you've been told that since you were three. Don't give up. Like you've been told that. You already kind of know that. But it's, a, it's the consistency thing, right? Everybody can be great in spurts. 
Everybody can pursue purpose in spurts. Everybody can pursue potential in spurts. Everybody can be disciplined in spurts. Everybody can say no to sin in spurts. Everybody can love their spouse in spurts. But you don't reach your potential in spurts. Craig Rochelle said this, uh, successful people do consistently what normal people do occasionally. And I really like that because it's, you know, I, I feel like I can be really good at things sometimes, and then other times I feel terrible at them. But he's saying, hey, 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 if you really want to be successful, if you really want to go somewhere, uh, we could even change it to like people who reach their potential do consistently what people who don't reach their potential do occasionally. It's consistency. You need grit. You need to not just get back up, but get back up quickly when you're on the ground. And it's a, it's a long obedience in the same direction. You know what I'm saying? Long obedience in the same direction. The ability to get up every single day and do the thing you're supposed to do and love your spouse and go to work and work hard and do the things that God wants you to do. Read your Bible, pray, meet with people, love people, share your faith. It's, it's that consistency that is going to change your life over the long haul and, and take you to your potential. You're not going to get there in some like, today I'm going to eat only vegetables, only broccoli, and I'm going to be skinny tomorrow. That's, you know that's not going to happen, Right? It's consistency, it's grit, it's not giving up when things get hard and continue to go in the same direction, grit. The next thing that you need to choose if you wanna reach your potential is to choose complete surrender, complete surrender. If you're gonna live up to your potential, you have to choose to live the way God wants you to live, not just the way you want to live. Choose the way God wants you to live, not the way you want to live. But it's even deeper than that. Um, so the, private, the prophet Elisha uh, confronted the people of Israel at one point, he said in 1 Kings uh, 18, verse 21, he says, uh, they stood in front of the people, how much longer will you waver hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people were completely silent. So check this out. Elijah's complaint here is not that Israel has chosen this false god Baal over God. That's not what Elijah's saying. What he's saying is they've got dual loyalty. They've kind of put them both next to each other. Yes, they worship God, but they also worship Baal on the side. God, Baal is like their side God. Side? No? Okay. Only a few of you speak that language. Their hearts were not fully devoted to God. They had a dual focus, a dual loyalty. And I just have an assumption that that's most of us. It's not that we've chosen to live our lives for something else besides God. It's that we have so much else going on in our lives that God's gotten squeezed out, that our loyalty is kind of divided across the board. Yes, we love God. Yes, we want to pursue God's plans, God's purpose, but other things are important too. And we've allowed those things to come in and kind of nudge God over. And Elijah's challenge to the people of Israel is, hey, um, stop wavering. Stop, stop trying to be loyal to both. You, you, you can't. Actually, Jesus even said that, right? You can't serve two masters. You can't put two things as number one. Only one thing is number one. Pick one. Choose. So if you want to live your potential, you have to have a monogamous loyalty to God. If you want to live to your potential, you have to completely surrender your life to God. You will never reach your potential without surrender. Noticing something consistent about these? All these are like hard. They all hurt a little bit, don't they? So what in your life right now is competing with God? 
what, what has uh, not intentionally, not by some, I'm going to sit down and decide that this thing's going to be as important as God. But over time, slowly, this thing has kind of crept up and now it sits next to God and it runs the risk of knocking him off. What is it? If you want to reach your potential, you're going to have to choose to surrender every aspect of your life. Open your hands up. Let God have it. Last thing, if you want to reach your potential. Be okay with being misunderstood. You have to choose to be okay with being misunderstood. If you want to reach your potential in life, you're just going to have to be okay with this. Some people are going to look at you and they're going to misunderstand what you're doing. Um, I want to show you a quote, um, but before you put it up there, um, there's a piece of this quote that's super arrogant, and you're going to like it, just so you know. If you're like me, let me clarify that even further. If you're like me, you're like, I really like that quote. So, so take what you should out of this, but you're going to have to leave some parts of it off, okay? okay? So here's the quote. Um, Talent hits a target no one else can hit. Genius hits a target no one else can see, Okay? So there are people in this world, let me just kind of explain this, there are people in this world who have talent that, that enables them to hit a target that none of us can reach, right? LeBron can do stuff with a basketball that we can't do. Uh, Warren Buffett can do stuff with money that we just can't do, right? Adele can do stuff with her voice that we can't do. They have talent that enables them to hit something that's just beyond our reach. But genius, genius is a target that other people can't even see. They're aiming for something in their life that like isn't visible to other people. And, and what I'm pointing out here that you shouldn't take to heart is the genius part. Some of you are sitting going, that's why people don't understand me. Because I'm a genius. <laughs> don't take that too seriously. I actually don't think you have to be a complete genius to live your life aiming for something that other people can't see. You just have to have a different perspective. And you have to be bold and you have to be brave. And the reason I say to reach your potential, you have to be okay with being misunderstood is because what's going to happen is you're going to shoot an arrow and the target that everybody thought you were aiming at, that arrow is going to go flying by it and they're going to look at you and go, you missed. And you are going to have to stand there and go, no, I didn't. Maybe, because the arrow is still flying, right? You, you don't know if it's hit yet, but you knew you weren't aiming for that target. You were aiming for something beyond that they, they couldn't see. So you're going to have to be okay with standing there like this and looking, even when people are chirping in your ear, you missed. Like, I, I, didn't, I didn't miss because I wasn't aiming for that. They're going to misunderstand. And when you pursue potential, that's guaranteed because potential is invisible, right? You're not pursuing a a present reality, but a potential reality, a reality that does not yet exist. You're shooting at a target that in some ways doesn't even exist yet. You're seeing not what is, but what could be. And not everybody can see that. So I want to show you this verse that has guided my life for like the past seven years since I've been lead pastor of this church. Uh, it's a really important verse to me. It's found in the book of Habakkuk, which I know is totally your favorite book of the Bible, um, if you knew it existed. Here's the verse. This has been like, I don't want to say like my life verse, but this one, man, I read it like seven years ago, and it was one of those ones that like God highlighted it. You know what I'm saying? Have you ever had that moment where God's just like this one, this one? This vision is for a future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. If it seems slow in coming, wait patiently, for it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. So this vision, this vision of what could be, it's out there. It's the end results of what you're doing right now. 
And it will be fulfilled, but it's going to come slow. And here's what I'll guarantee. It's going to come slower than you want it to. And this verse says, be patient. Keep going. It will happen. And uh, this has been important to me. Because see, I've got arrows that I let fly, I don't know, half a decade ago, that are still in the air. And um, when I shot them, long time ago, people said, oh boy, you missed on that one. And I'm still standing here. Eh, wait, wait, still going. I, I may have missed, I don't know yet, but it's still in the air. And I wasn't aiming for what you thought I was aiming for. I'm aiming for a potential reality, not a present one. And for me personally, the way this feels, man, I almost feel cursed because I, I feel like God has both blessed me and cursed me with the ability to see in people not what is, but what could be. So many of you sitting here, I don't see you for what you are, I see you for what you could be. And some of you are my arrows. I let one fly. And you haven't landed yet. And some people look at me and go, you missed, you picked the wrong people. And I'm like, no, 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 look, it's still in the air. You just can't see it yet. It didn't hit the target yet, but it's still going. And I see what could be, not what is. That if some of you would allow God to get a hold of you, like really get a hold of you, man, the gates of hell would shake in fear from what you could do. I see it as clearly as I see you sitting here now. And it's the same thing with the whole church. I don't see what is, but what could be. And, and sometimes it just gets me into trouble. It just gets me into trouble because I don't see what it is. I see what it could be and I see potential. Potential for tens or hundreds of people to come to faith in Jesus because of what God does here. I feel like this church is like a glowing ember just waiting for oxygen to flow over and things just gonna explode and ignite. I see it. And we have people on the outside going, oh man, you guys totally missed the target. And I'm like, dude, no, I wasn't aiming for that. Like, that's not, we're trying to be a church for people who don't think church is for them. And it's not, that's not the target I'm trying to hit. We're trying to hit a different target. You just can't see that target. We have to be okay with being misunderstood with that. It's the same thing in your life. When you make decisions based off potential, you're making decisions based off something that people cannot see. You're making decisions based off what could be rather than what is. Not off of a present reality, but a potential reality. And to some people, it's going to look like you are missing. Shoot anyways. You're going to have to stand there in faith like this. And trust that God's going to guide that arrow. God does this all the time, by the way. You know that, right? God took a shepherd and turned him into King David right? It wasn't a present reality. It was a potential reality. God took a farmer and turned him into the prophet Elisha. God took a fisherman who had a cussing problem and turned him into the apostle Peter, right? Like God does this all the time. He doesn't see what is, but what could be. Now God sees it perfectly. And that's where we're a little different than God because God can see what is for sure because God can look uh, right into the future. We have like a dumbed down version of that where we have to look in faith into what could be and we have to shoot for that. Potential. Potential. If you want to reach your potential, you're going to have to be okay with being misunderstood.